This week at Hope Point. There'll be days when you say, my soul is dark, my heart is sick. I'm a wretched man that should be exiled from heaven and banned to hell. In that moment, you pick up the shield of faith and you look at God's love on the cross of Jesus Christ who suffered for your sin and you say to God, I believe in your mercy that you give it to the undeserving. I believe in your promise to give grace to sinners. I believe in your son Jesus and I believe in his precious blood. I believe that he welcomes all who come to his cross. I believe that his righteousness can remove my guilt and I believe that his power is sufficient for my weakness. I believe in Christ. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. I remember reading back in uh, the newspaper way back in the 80s of a major denomination in the church that uh, was changing their hymn, hymn book, uh, revising it. And one of the hymns that didn't make the cut for the new hymnal was a uh, an old hymn called Onward Christian Soldiers. And uh, they took it out. These are the words they didn't like. Onward Christian Soldiers, marching us to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle and see his banner go. And they took it out because they thought it was too militant. It had too many images to war. And I would have loved to talk to those religious leaders. Can't really say the Christians, but religious leaders and say, like, what do you do with Ephesians 6? What do you do with all the passages in the Bible that say that every inclination and intention of the evil one is to persuade us to abandon our trust in Jesus Christ and he wars against us with that intention every day? We've been in Ephesians 6. I'm not going to read all 11 verses again to you that talk about spiritual warfare. I don't need to read them because the one that's new to us today is enough for onward Christian soldiers to have made it in the hymnal. Ephesians 6, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. As a reminder, the man who wrote these words, the Apostle Paul is sitting in a Roman prison cell because he taught publicly that Jesus Christ was the creator of the world who became a man for the purpose of offering his body as a sacrifice on the cross so that in his shedding of his blood, his expelling of his last breath, his dying, our sins could be transferred to Christ and anyone who believed in him could go to heaven. That message was so hated in hell that Satan worked through human instruments to have that man arrested, trying to silence his voice of preaching that message. And so from that Roman prison cell, as he's sitting there, he's writing to a church that's about to face the same type of opposition and persecution, and he's telling them they need to dress themselves for spiritual battle. And the entire sixth chapter of Ephesians at this section, he's looking at a Roman soldier and says, dress like this guy does Physically, you dress like that spiritually in spiritual armor because that soldier is ready for war and you need to be ready for war. It's all over Ephesians 6 and many other places in Scripture. 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to understand that life is one big holy war in which evil beings seek to persuade you to reject the rule of God in your life. In that sense, every true believer in Christ is a warrior. All of earth is a battlefield. Your destiny as a Christian is to be assaulted by evil. Evil assaulted Christ. Evil will assault the followers of Christ. Satan is opposed to every purpose and value of God. Satan is opposed to every person who devotes himself to the purpose and values of God. So every believer needs to have a plan, a strategy. What are you going to do when this war comes against you? Because it will. And what we want to be in in those times is we want to be fighting soldiers, not fearful soldiers, not fleeing soldiers, fighting faithful soldiers. You remember the story in the Old Testament of the figure David. Um, He was sent by his father with some cheese and bread to the front lines where the army of Israel was fighting the army of the Philistines. And one of the Philistines, a very large man who we would call a giant, was mocking God's name. And no one from Israel was fighting against even that one man, let alone against the whole army. And when David saw this, though he was just a shepherd boy, he went right up to that giant and said, you come, for Samuel 17, 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. That's not the voice of a man who's afraid. That's not the voice of a man who's surprised by evil. That is the voice of a man who expected evil to come and expected God's people to fight. What did surprise David, what he didn't expect, is to see that every soldier who was equipped for battle was filled with panic and fear and in the process of retreating. David was just a shepherd boy sent out to bring some food and God turned him into a soldier. You know, whenever you look at a, de- a look at a decked out soldier, you you know the last thing that would come to your mind is, oh, that decked out soldier will never go to war. That's not what you're thinking. You're thinking he has all of this military paraphernalia on because he's destined for war. He's a soldier. War does not surprise him. Several years ago, I talked with a very gifted pastor who was leaving his church, and I asked him, what, you know, why are you leaving? And he said, because there is no way it could be the will of God for ministry to be this hard. I mean, and he, so he was like a soldier dressed in, for battle and serving the king of glory, but inside truly expected to never have to go to war. Can you imagine, in our context, somebody who is uh, part of the United States military, that's their salary, they've joined, they've enlisted, they're paid, and every day they train, every day they put on uh, military gear, 
and, and, and work on all sorts of strategies, but in their mind, they're thinking, I'm never going to war. Can't believe a soldier would think like that. It's why you joined the army. Because you anticipated war. I think it's true that many people depart from Christ because somehow from the beginning they heard the message that having peace with God would somehow exempt them from war, spiritual war, that somehow their, their path to heaven would be smooth, uh, filled with singing many happy songs instead of spiritual warfare. And that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, that's why he wrote, pick up the shield of faith so you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, before we apply any of this to our personal situations, I want us to travel back 21 centuries to the first century to understand what Paul is talking about because in times of combat, a Roman soldier had one of two um, shields that he could use. If it was hand-to-hand combat, he would use a small shield like two feet in diameter and he would hold that out. But if he was on the battlefield with his other uh, soldier friends, he would use what was called a thurios shield. It would look more like a door. It was two feet wide by four feet tall. So if you're going to go to battle on the battlefield, you bring the, the thurios. I took a group of middle schoolers from this church a few Christmases ago to the sheriff's department to distribute gifts and to say thank you for serving us and protecting us. And while we were there, uh, uh, Deputy Jonathan gave us a tour of his particular place, which was uh, preparing for riots, and he showed us all the riot gear. And it was interesting to watch those middle school boys try to pick up that shield. I mean, he picks it up to use it. They could hardly pick it up to drag it. That's what this shield looked like. It was a solid two-by-four piece of wood that these Roman soldiers would carry around. And it was um, sometimes covered with leather that could be drenched in water before battle so that when enemies would shoot flaming arrows at them, when they stabbed the leather, the water from the leather would extinguish the flaming arrows. And they, when they lined up, um, Shield, 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 or door, door, door. A mile wide, sometimes a soldier, Roman soldier would fight. That phalanx would look like just an impenetrable shield, and the archers were behind the shield, safe to do their business of shooting arrows back at, at the enemy. And Paul says, if you're going to be protected in battle, you need to carry a thurios shield. You need a big shield, big faith for the war because it's so intense daily. Flaming arrows of doubt from the evil one coming at you. We must specifically believe in the promises of God, in the character of God, the reliability of God, the trustworthiness of God, because the flaming arrows that are coming against you are going to cause you or compel you to doubt that God is trustworthy, reliable, faithful, And once you believe that, you'll depart from God if those doubts get in to you. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Satan's primary weapon, that's what you can pretty much attribute, equate these flaming arrows. His primary weapon is doubt. Doubt right there. Doubt that God's going to reward you. That he sees you. He's going to compel you to doubt that God is good, that God is strong, that God is reliable, and that God will reward those who serve him and lay down their life for him. Therefore, our primary weapon against those doubts must be, as we saw again, faith, the shield of faith. This is the goal of Satan with every flaming arrow to get past your shield His goal is for his arrow to get past your shield and to pierce your heart. And when your heart is gone, your heart has been stabbed, all the energy and devotion and passion and courage will just seep out of your life. You can know that you have let down your shield of faith when you begin to make statements like this. The future is hopeless. You, you make a statement like that, and you have, you have let down your shield of faith, and you have told the enemy, Satan, you can have me. I'm yours. I'll believe anything you want me to believe. Because you're no longer holding up the shield of faith, the promises of God, about the reliability of God. We don't have any right we, can, we have the right today to say today is painful, tomorrow will likely be. But we have no right to look into the future and make statements of hopelessness. And we do that because our flesh hates living by faith so much that we would rather just say in our flesh, just going to get it over with, the future is horrible, I'm going to believe that and I don't have to wait on God, pray to God, nothing about God, just give in. That's, that's why we choose these horrendous statements to believe about the future. It makes our flesh feel good. Just say, it's all over. By making statements like that, we are essentially taking matters into our own hands by predicting the future. And whenever we take matters into our own, own hands, rather than waiting on God, we make a mess of things. The, the reference to flaming arrows was a reference to a military tactic used in this day in which soldiers would not just shoot arrows at their opponents, but they would dip the arrow into tar and light it so that when the arrow struck its opponent, it might set the soldier on fire, or if it hit a tent somewhere in a village, burn down that tent and create a fire that burned down all the tents in the village. Satan is... is intent on creating not just soul-wide damage, church-wide damage, city-wide damage, nation-wide damage, worldwide damage. So he uses not just arrows, but arrows that are laced with fire. The purpose of our enemy is to, for us to doubt God. That's all it is. Doubt. Where it all started in the beginning, Adam and Eve doubted, and the rest is a mess. So Satan starts creating doubt, 
that leads us to depart, and that eventually leads us to deny. And then, once we deny, Satan uses us to help produce doubt and departing and denial in other people. That our, our lives now are used by him to hurt the faith of others. And I think that's really what I'm seeing more on social media now than, uh, than anything is those who were once followers of Christ using their words to create doubt about God and his purposes for the church in Christ. And people are falling away because of the influence of those who were once Christ's followers. But all spiritual desertion starts with doubt. And I know that we all have doubt at times. That's what this all is all about. We, we do have doubt, especially when we go through a new trial, never been this way before, never seen God act like this before. So for a moment, it's going to be doubt. But it's not a place to live. You probably have heard at some point either a testimony or some preacher that didn't study for that week and said something off the cuff about, hey, doubt is cool. God accepts you in your doubts. Well, he does accept you in your doubts if we equate that with he does not reject you. Like, he's going to wait on you. So he's, but he doesn't want you to stay there in those doubts because it's unhealthy. This is called the shield of faith. That's what's being exalted, not the shield of doubt. When I have been tempted to give in to doubt, pondering statements like this, not worth it, not worth it to give God more, not worth it to make another sacrifice, not worth it to keep trusting him, not worth it to keep serving him. When I say that my mind is weak, my body is weary and my heart is broken. I'm not going to trust anymore. When I stay in that kind of mindset very long, I'm done. I'm not, it's not healthy. Believing is healthier than doubting and trusting God is better than doubting God. And that's why the shield of faith is so important. It's really the one weapon that protects all the other weapons. I told you, it's like a door. And you can imagine about the enemy coming and his intent is to sever your arm. You got your door, get your shield. In terms of our context, Satan comes and tries to tell you, don't use your arms anymore to serve the Lord. It's not worth it. It's a waste of time. You're beginning to believe that. This is a waste of time. Nobody's coming, nobody's listening. All of a sudden, you hold up the shield of faith, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I get rewarded for this sermon. I get rewarded for showing up today. It's not in vain whether I feel it and see it or sense it or not. Nothing's in vain done for Jesus. Faith protects the rest of my body. Faith is really the only thing that can make you courageous in this world. Because the world's going to tell you it's not worth it. 
your stand for Christ is causing you to lose too much and you're gaining nothing. You're just like, you made a stand and you lost everything for your stand. If you're not holding up that shield of faith, you'll believe the voice of the world. What you need to do when the world tells you you've lost everything is to believe the words of Christ that whoever loses anything for me, Mark chapter 10, verse 30, whoever gives up anything for me, I will give them a hundred times as much in the age to come. Now that is a great financial deal. That's the promise of Christ. Not how we feel, that's what he says. Or maybe the enemy is shooting a fiery arrow at your knees, persuading you you're not going to pray anymore because he's made you feel that prayer doesn't work. Um, you don't feel God when you pray. You don't see things happening around you when you pray. And therefore, that flaming arrow that's hit your knees, you're not going to kneel anymore because you say, I give up. I'm not going to pray. What do you do? Hold up the shield of faith. Because all the promises of God are written on that massive shield. And you look in the front and you find that promise that says in Psalm 34, 6 and 15, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. So instead of saying, I don't feel like God hears me when I pray, you look at that verse and say, I know God hears me. When I pray, no matter how I feel, you might say, well, gosh, where do I get that kind of faith to believe that? That sounds like a miracle. Hmm. Thank you for suggesting such a thing. It is a miracle. It's the greatest, the creation of God's heart, uh, uh, the creation of faith in our hearts is the greatest of miracles. Ephesians chapter 2 says it like this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not from yourselves. That faith is the gift of God. It's a miracle. This is the radical power of the gospel. To take someone from unbelief to belief. There is no deeper work of God that he does in any person's soul than when he takes somebody who looks at the Bible and says, I don't believe any of it, and so transforms them that they open it and say, I believe all of it. That's what's happening in this verse. The birth of faith, the birth of trust in who God is and what he has said about every area of life. It's supernatural. It comes from heaven. It's wrought by the Spirit Stirred by the Spirit and the Word of God. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, you stop doubting the Word of God, you start loving the Word of God, you, start, you stop arguing over the Word of God, and you start using the Word of God. He gives you the ability and the desire and the joy to believe everything that He says in His Word. Even when the world says everything you believe is absurd, you say, no, 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 no. Everything I believe is right and true and good because God has said it and he's reliable. If you have no faith today, then your first prayer might be, God, please give me faith. 
God, please give me faith. And then you answer your own prayer by coming to this place Sunday after Sunday because this is the place where faith is born because faith is always connected to what is taught from the Bible. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Your coming and hearing and listening is going to produce faith. Now, when we talk about faith here and, and what it means to live by faith, we're, we're not talking about that faith that you sometimes see on Christmas ornaments, I believe. You go, ah, that's nice. I believe. No. I believe in Christ, who he is, what he's done, life, death, resurrection, from heaven to earth in the body of a man, dead on a cross, risen from the grave, back to heaven, king of all kings. Not, I believe that I'm going to get better because I believe I'm going to get better, or I believe this is going to work out because I believe it's going to work out. It's not, it's not Christian faith. Christian faith says because of everything that has God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is reliable and trustworthy no matter what he asks of me on earth. To have faith in God is to believe that every word that he said about himself is reliable, that his intentions toward us are always reliable and his plan is to reward us with everlasting joy in heaven. And that he is trustworthy to keep that promise. Let's say you believed as a, as a Christian this promise. You loved it. Hebrews 13, 5. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's a great promise. Or may, and you, maybe you add to that. Romans 8, 28. In all things God works for the good of those who love him. And who are called according to his purpose. You, you love those verses. You memorized them. You got them posted on your mirror. But all of a sudden you're met with a devastating illness and you're trying to figure out what do those verses mean now? Never leave you nor forsake you. Calls all things for good. And you say, well, I can't see how, how this is going to work out for good. But that's fair to say that. I don't feel like I did when I first read Hebrews 13, 5, that Christ will, I don't feel that. But you hold up your shield of faith and you say that God is eternally good and that every pain that he's allowed in my life is supervised and overseen by his sovereign hands and his scarred hands and that no matter what he has allowed in my life, his eternal power and wisdom are going to produce a good specifically because he allowed that pain. And so you believe Romans 8, 28, that God is going to work for good that you see or will see in heaven. And even if you don't see it until heaven, you believe, Hebrews 13, 5, that every step along the way when you were in that pain, Jesus Christ was with you in your house, in that hospital, in your car, in that marriage, at that graveside, with you, because he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you until I get you to heaven. 
And you believe that because God is reliable and trustworthy. And let me tell you, if you are a person, you say, well, I need to pray that prayer to have more faith. So I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to start coming. One, year, one thing you're going to find out about this place is you are surrounded by people who are struggling with faith just as you are. We're all struggling. That's why we come. We say, why do you come? Sunday after Sunday. I mean, y'all sort of know what I'm going to say, kind of. You come back because your faith has, the shield of faith has just taken so many flaming arrows this week. Your faith is weak. So you come and you say, sing to me, band. Preach to me, teacher. Encourage me, my small group. One of the primary ways that God will strengthen your faith is through another follower of Christ. That's why we want you to be in a small group. It's why we want you to come Sunday after Sunday. But the bottom line is that if your shield of faith will be strong, you need to hear biblical truth continually. It's the only way your faith will be built up. Again, let me state this. Let me be as transparent as I can. Whenever I have given in to doubt, it has crippled my spiritual life. It has robbed me of strength and vision and hope and courage. And the more I doubted God, the, more, the less energy I had to serve him. It's not good to live in a lot of doubt. And in those moments of doubt, the only antidote for my shriveled up heart was to open the word of God and read a promise about the goodness of God, to look at the cross of Christ and see the love of God and to look at the resurrection of Jesus and see the hope of God. And to respond out loud like this. I believe, God, that you are dependable, reliable, loving, giving, forgiving, beautiful, and strong. I believe that your words are the foundation that I need to build my life on. I believe that your intentions for me are good. I believe that your wisdom is perfect, your power is supreme, and that I believe that you will provide enough strength for me to serve you. So you just think of the shield of faith as, as a board with all the promises of God written on it. And those arrows come of doubt and they're just buried into that shield of faith. You know, if you took a hammer and beat an anvil with it, you could beat and beat that anvil. That anvil's not going to break. That hammer's going to break first. So let that shield of faith be your anvil. Let all the arrows of Satan come and break against the shield of faith. And so that, dis that despite the worst circumstances in your life, you're holding up that shield of faith and you still are a person of hope because you believe in the reliability of all that God has said and all that he has done. I don't think of, I can think of a, a, a more beautiful example of how hope can be born out of faith than just this last season of trial and grief and darkness that, that uh, I went through and were, were just really sort of went through with Lisa, but her, she, her family, really went through it. And the loss of Lisa's father, who died two Mondays ago, 
So after 18 days in the hospital, they brought him home. His name was Josie. And then brought in hospice. And so he's in a bed in the house, in a hospital bed. So the circumstances were dark. Children seeing their father suffer. Wife of 66 years seeing her husband suffer. It was hard and, oh God, what are you going to do? How, how's the shield of faith? Well, it was just, it took everything to hold that shield of faith up. And I remember one night, two Sunday nights ago, almost the whole family had left the house to go back to hotels and wherever. Lisa and I were in that room with her brother and her mother surrounding her father's bed. And we got out the Bible and began to read Psalm 103. And I'll just read a portion of it to you. Psalm 103, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. So now we're praying as we're reading this and we're thanking the Lord. An 87-year-old man, God, you have blessed him, been many benefits to his life for 87 years. You think we're going to throw away our faith now for these two or three days of extraordinary pain when we saw 87 years of benefit? No way. You were a God who has given this family plenty of benefits. And then in Psalm 103, then the writer lists all the benefits that God gives us. In verse, starting with verse 3. Who forgives all your sins. If I got to mark that up maybe who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, and then, of course, love this. He crowns you with love and compassion. So we're sitting there, and we're looking at a man who's lived 87 years. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of moments to sin. God has forgiven. Those are part of the benefits of knowing Christ. All of his sins are forgiven. He's ready to go. Forgives all your sins. Oh, that's a benefit. Heals. We're just hours away from God healing all of his disease. That's a benefit. Then, as we had been touching his head, putting a cloth on it, in just a few hours, God was going to crown his head with love and compassion. God. So that her father would be forever satisfied and never disappointed again. Forever and ever and ever in glory. So we read that, read some more, and then we transported that song and the truth of that in, into singing, It is well with my soul. And when we finished all of that, reading the Bible Singing and praying, Lisa's mom said, I, I'm good now. She asked me to help her up from her wheelchair to kiss her husband goodbye. And we went to bed, all of us that night, and we got a call at 6.20 the next morning. The Lord had released him from the chains of suffering. And we rejoiced. Because we believed in the goodness of 
of God. We rejoiced in the verse that said that now her father was enjoying better and lasting possessions. I don't know what the first morning in heaven is like. I just know it's better than any morning on earth. And for him, better than any family gathering that he loved, better than any barbecue sandwich, better than any day at the beach, better than any day at Death Valley watching Clemson football. Heaven is better than the best of our best days. That's what God says, better. So the shield of faith is necessary to hold it up against the evil one who assaults us with lies. That's all those flaming arrows are, they're lies about God that calls us to doubt. And the only way to survive in combat is to let the shield of faith take all of those blows. Holding up the shield of faith prevents us from looking at circumstances and making an opinion about God based on the circumstances. No, we have already formed what we know about God by what he has said and what he's done. And therefore, we interpret circumstances in light of the fact that he's a good, reliable, strong, loving God. You know, one of the best things we can do and help a new Christian grow is to teach them to hold the shield of faith. How to hold it, how to live by faith and not by feelings. Because you know, when somebody first comes to Christ, what do what, what they feel? They feel good. It feels good to be a Christian. It feels good to serve God. It feels good to witness. It feels good to pray. It feels good to read my Bible. And then all of a sudden, the stresses of life come and depletes that emotion, those feelings, and all of a sudden, the enemy comes in and tells them, because they no longer feel good, the enemy tells them, your profession of faith in Jesus Christ was false. And your spiritual quest is pointless. You should just give up. And we need to help believers at that time how not to live by feelings, but to hold the shield of faith of what God has said. And this is what we would tell them. This is what we tell ourselves. When you feel nothing in your heart for God, no deep love for God, even an alarming attraction for sin, this is the most wonderful time to stand behind your shield of faith and to say, God, I have nothing except belief that you'll save me because Jesus said in John, excuse me, John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And you bank all of your hope on believing that, not feeling it. There'll be many times in your life where you feel completely empty, not a righteous feeling in your body, no hope, just emptiness. You said, there's not one thing I can do for God. There you are laying on the ground, it's all, it's all you could do is just laying on the ground. What, what can I, I can't serve the Lord. Let me tell you something. When you're in that particular moment, do you know what the will of God is? The will of God is for you to lay on the ground behind your shield of faith. 
You can work for God later, but right now all he wants you to do is lay on the ground behind that shield of faith. Lying on the ground is not hard. Just lie there and believe. When Satan comes to you and says, you're a great sinner, you respond by saying, yes, but Jesus is a greater savior. When Jesus sees a soul lying at his feet, he comes to that soul and has mercy on that soul. When Satan comes to you and says, you have exceeded the number of times that you can confess that sin, you hold up your shield of faith and confess Romans 5.20 where sin increased, grace increased all the more. There will be times in your life when you see you especially see ugliness in your heart. It might be past sins, it might be present temptations, but you will feel as if there's not one person or thing on earth that could testify of one reason that God should love you. And you, you feel like saying the sun should not warm you with its rays, the field should not feed you with its crops, the clouds should not send you rain. And the night should not give you rest. The the storm should strike you down. The sea should swallow you whole. And every living soul on earth should reject you. There will be days when you say, my soul is dark. My heart is sick. I'm a wretched man that should be exiled from heaven and banned to hell. In that moment, you pick up the shield of faith and you look at God's love on the cross of Jesus Christ who suffered for your sin and you say to God, I believe in your mercy that you give it to the undeserving. I believe in your promise to give grace to sinners. I believe in your son Jesus and I believe in his precious blood. I believe that he welcomes all who come to his cross. I believe that his righteousness can remove my guilt And I believe that his power is sufficient for my weakness. I believe in Christ. I believe. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.